and get started this morning. If you would open your Bibles to Second Peter, the first chapter and the eighth verse, and we're going to continue our study there uh, in Second Peter. I uh, appreciate all the prayers and everything for last week, and uh, it was just uh, uh, the power of God that that did it. So I do appreciate uh, everything. Uh, let's go ahead and get started this morning, and um, uh, take a few minutes just for for prayer to get ourselves ready to study. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, again, we thank you for this day, for your love and mercy and grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this privilege and opportunity of assembling together in a free country. I pray we would make the most of it today and let your word be at the forefront. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've just gone through a list that drew a target for us to see if we can got it memorized and if we can put it all together. It says applying all diligence. That means we have to do this. This is something, the way that the, the thing is worded, this is what we need to bring to the table. The Lord's already set the table. Now we need to come to the table. And applying all diligence in that, we have to seek the faith. The faith is all about the object. When the definite article is there, it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about the whole body of doctrine as it is, but doctrine all centers around him. So in a sense, it is it is the body of doctrine, but the main focus is the faith. In your diligence, supply the faith. And in the faith, <clears throat> the next thing is the virtue. We all know that there's a right and wrong. We know we just have that built into us. And sometimes it gets jaded or scar tissued or whatever. But there is a right and wrong. So he says, take the faith and the object, add virtue to it, which we all should at least have some concept of. And then in the sphere of virtue, <clears throat> add knowledge. And we take this adding knowledge, which is the gnosis word. It'll be all right. <clears throat> In the sphere of the virtue, add the knowledge. And obviously, it's knowledge of the Word of God, knowledge about the Son of God. That's what it is. And I, when I uh, first studied this, I mentioned this many times, I had knowledge right at the top. And it bothered me that Peter didn't, wasn't any more mature than that than to put it down on the list. And then I figured out finally what what was inspired to be done. And that means if we really want to add knowledge, then we need to get these other things right first because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Without faith in Christ, an unbeliever can't fully understand the Word of God. They can know that David was a king. They can know that a flood is claimed to have happened. But to have any spiritual understanding of it and its significance, that just escapes them and it's beyond them. So in the sphere of the knowledge, what we want to add is the self-control. <clears throat> it's one thing to know what to do. It's another thing to do it. We learn that from the earliest times as we are taught to um, uh, do the right things by our parents. We're taught various things. But doing it sometimes is a problem. So he says, take what you know and apply it. Do it. And the self-control then would add perseverance. Now, sometimes we get something done once and we do it right and we think, oh, gosh, I've arrived. I've got it figured out. Then the next time we fail the test. Okay. <clears throat> Here it says persevere. 
We want to get things done right in our life, and we want to persevere in that process. And in the sphere of the perseverance, add the godliness. Now, the godliness is a reverence for God. It used to be as the word that's used here, and it, it means that we grow in our respect and our reverence and our awe of the Almighty. And if we're learning real knowledge, and if we are persevering and we are applying it to our life, I can guarantee you, you're going to see what, how respectful we should be of the Almighty. You see him work in so many different ways and, so, and through so many different problems. It's amazing. So we should be just awestruck by the Almighty and who he is. And in the sphere of the godliness, it says, add brotherly love. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> Here we learn to love God, and we learn to love one another, uh, and we learn to respect him, and in the sphere of brotherly love, the love is simply what it says in the Greek, agape, the love, and it's the, it's the greatest commandment, the love of God, the love for God, the love of who God is. So that is our context. Now, verse 8 makes a statement. For if these things are beginning to exist, uparko is the word, all these things just listed, these qualities, in you. So it's not automatic with a believer. If you notice that? Some people think the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your whole life changed and you get it perfect from then on. And if you don't get it perfect from then on, you weren't saved. I was raised in a church like that. And yet we kept seeing all kinds of failures, mistakes, sins. They just kept raising their, their ugly head. And so Peter is making it clear that <clears throat> he's talking to believers, and he says, if these things are beginning to exist in you <clears throat> and are increasing, pleonazo, growing, that means all those qualities can grow in abundance. They establish you neither useless that's the word uh, here without, without any good works at all, nor unfruitful in the true knowledge, epinosis of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> we got through various points uh, looking at what this verse had to say about diligence. We're still applying the diligence, and we got into the issue of spiritual blindness. You know, I once was blind, but now I see. The whole uh, theme of amazing grace. As unbelievers, that's what we are spiritually. We're, we think we can see things. We think we've got a clear understanding. But actually, we were spiritually blind. And so blindness is often manifested in arrogance. That's the point we left off with two weeks ago. When, I'm, when I miss a Sunday, I feel like it's been months. So uh, pardon me for the uh, review. Uh, but it's just uh, kind of to warm me up as much as to warm you up as to where, where were we two weeks ago whenever we did this. But it's often manifested in arrogance. Those who are spiritually blind think they've got it all together still, and they want to try to lead those who are also spiritually blind. And Paul writes about that, in, in the, or Jesus speaks about it in Matthew 15. Paul will write about it in Romans 2 also. Now, this blind arrogance dishonors God, and it harms a Christian witness. It dishonors God. Romans 2.17 uh, to 24. Here Paul is writing to the Romans, but he's also got some serious chapters in there for the Jews. Chapter 2 is one of them. Chapter 9, 10, and 11 is 
three more. So he's got some serious chapters for the Jews. 20 years into the church age is when he's writing it. And he says, but if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. And this was the Jewish rabbis at that point in time. And he says, you think you got it all together. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach, the one should not steal, do you steal? They were pilfering from the coffers that were going into the offerings of the uh, Jewish rabbis. You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. Now that's a pretty heavy accusation and confrontation from Paul to the the Jewish leaders right then, but it dishonors God. This type of spiritual blindness that functions in arrogance just dishonors God. A spiritually short-sighted person is one who lacks divine perspective in life. Those who lack these qualities are short-sighted, having forgotten their purification of sins. Because they can only see what is near. They have an attitude of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's the attitude. It's a, well, when I hit the grave, everything is over. There is no life after this. There is no judgment after this. So why not just make the most of, of today? They're walking around looking down at the ground instead of looking out on the horizon to see what is coming. And it's a mistake. The Bible tells us it's a mistake. We need to learn from the past and prepare for the future. That's what we need to do. Learn from the past and move on into the, into the future. But that type of attitude is, is right at the heart of the narcissistic attitudes of today and the atheistic attitudes. Okay? If there's nothing beyond this life, why should I bother with it? So I'm just going to take care of me today and that's all that matters. Now, this type of person is controlled by the circumstances of life and makes decisions that lack wisdom. In the third chapter of James, you don't have the verse written down, but verses 13 to 18, it talks about a wisdom that comes from above and a wisdom that comes from the earth. There are two different kinds of wisdom, basically. One is a divine wisdom. One is an earthly wisdom. And he makes it very, very clear that uh, the divine wisdom is the one that we need because the earthly wisdom is earthly, natural, demonic. It is a, it is a problem. And we've got all kinds of earthly wisdom available to us. You can uh, turn on the radio. You can read a book. Any, you can uh, turn on the television. It's coming as a bombardment from everywhere about this earthly wisdom, this so-called earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom is derived by observation. 
It's derived by observation. And sadly, if all you can derive, all you can see is what is immediately around you, you can't make legitimate applications on a global scale. It's not possible to do that. You need somebody that can see on a global scale, namely God, to tell you what is wise for you in your little spot on this planet. Now that's what we want is the divine wisdom that comes down from above. It comes through his word, but it also comes, wisdom comes in the application of the word. Because sometimes we have things that seem to be conflicting that we know is doctrine and we know is true. Which one do we apply? Which one do we apply? What type of discipline should we, should we bring to our children when they act up? We need divine wisdom. Should this be, should this be the uh, spanking? I know that's not politically correct right now. But should it be the spanking or should it be grace? How should it be? We, it needs to be a balance. Otherwise, things get out of hand. Truth without grace is too harsh, and grace without truth is too easy. We need the balance. So, where does it come from? He who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously. We want the divine wisdom. What do I do here, Lord? What do I do here? Because I know what your word says, but I don't have a specific for this specific event, and I need it. So we go to him, and we, and we ask. An airline pilot, <clears throat> for those who have been in an air, airplane, some people, I don't know if anybody in here flies or just thinks about it. Uh, the, uh, an airline pilot doesn't look at the ground when they're landing. They teach them to look at the horizon. Because if you look at the ground, you'll fly into it. So you look at the horizon to get that landing Stuck the way it's supposed to be. That's what we need to do. Fixing our eyes on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. That's how we keep a perspective. And that's how we find divine wisdom. It lends itself to a life of fear, not faith. A life of fear. This... uh, This type of person that is led by a blind arrogance, they... uh, just look for their next high. What's going to make me feel good today in these circumstances? Instead of how can I understand these circumstances so I may do the things pleasing in the eyes of the Lord? That's just a different attitude. Some advice to the church of the last days. Go ahead and turn to Revelation 3.15 with me if you would. <clears throat> Revelation 3.15. These are uh, letters to the seven churches. And they are, as John typically does, he writes in a, in a hard-hitting style. Okay? There's not, not a lot of gray areas with John. So here is John, inspired of the Holy Spirit, writing words of truth to guess who? The church at Laodicea. Now, these seven churches are also seven eras of the church age. That's what they are. They're seven eras of the church age. And Laodicea is the last one. So I think it's 
particularly true to us. Now, how do I know that they are prophetic in nature? Because Revelation 1.3 says, The words of the book of this prophecy, Blessed are those who read and hear the words of the book, singular, of this prophecy, singular. The whole thing's prophecy. So if you don't see the whole book as prophetic in nature, you've missed it. You've missed the point. So <clears throat> here is, he says, I know your deeds that you're neither cold or hot. And I wish you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich, I become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. And I think if any nation anywhere it, that this type of attitude was ever centered in, it's the United States of America. We, we are the wealthiest nation in the history of the world without question. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so you can become rich. Let's get the divine gold, the spiritual gold, the gold, silver, and precious stones that we have the opportunity to, to uh, receive. And he says, white garments so you can clothe yourself that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Change your mind. Now, if we find ourselves in these, these attitudes of uh, kind of a devil-may-care attitude or eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die, sometimes people in the church want to hand it off to everybody else. They just want to hand it off to let George do it. Is what it used to be, but G2 is not here today, so we, it's a handy phrase around the deacon board. But uh, let George do it. Is give it to somebody else. No, we should be the ones as Christians that say, "How can I help? How can I help?" And uh, I've I've been so encouraged over the the last couple of weeks to so many people saying, "How can I help? Anything I can do to help." And I appreciate that greatly. But um, there's, if, if I, I'm not turning you down. If there's anything I can think of that you can do to help, it's, uh, I'll call. I'm not bashful about doing that. So, uh, anyway. Now, verse 10, therefore, this word dio that is used here is a summary of verses 2 to 10. The word Dio summarizes a paragraph. It says, therefore. There's multiple ways to say therefore in the Greek. Un is the most frequent one used. Dio says, all right, I'm drawing a conclusion from this paragraph that talks about we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. We've got it. We don't have to seek it. We have it. The question is, with this table that's been set, what are you going to eat from? The Lord has set the table. And he says, now this is how I want you to go about partaking of the divine nature and making it a part of you. He says, therefore, brethren, see he's not talking to unbelievers here, be all the more diligent. This is an aorist uh, active imperative of spudazo. Diligent 
takes us back to the very first of the qualities. Remember when he says, applying all diligence in the faith supply. And it started with this very word. Only that was the noun and this is the verb. It's an imperative. So it says it's not part of the optional part of the Christian life. It's an aorist tense. It says, make this your life. Not just from time to time. Make this a story of your life. And it's an active. It says, you have to input into it. The Lord's not going to make you diligent. He's not. This is something you choose to do. Be all the more diligent to make certain. This is babayos is the word used nine times. Uh, The verb itself is used eight times. And it means firm, steadfast, or secure. Okay? To make firm his calling and choosing you. Now, this is about assurance of salvation. It's not you trying to figure out if you're elect or not. Didn't he just address them as brethren? He addressed them as brethren. So he's saying, okay, brethren, there's always this business of works that has always been the attack all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Somebody wants to add works to the gospel. And the gospel is purely of grace. And so if you add works into the gospel, you think you've got to work for your salvation, you think you've got to work to prove it, you think you've got to work to keep it, he said, you're never going to be assured of anything. So you have to get grace right. That's what all of us do. We have to get grace right. We are all born goof-ups. And we're going to stay goof-ups for most of our life. But his salvation is not based on my goof-ups. It is based on his work on the cross. So he says, be assured about this. For as long as you practice these things, what? Diligence, faith, knowledge, self-control, perseverance. As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. See, he's not getting, trying to get us saved from the penalty for sin. That's a done deal. But the power of sin is still real in our life. And he says, you practice these things, the power of sin is not going to win. It's not going to win. You will never stumble, and this is a this is a double negative that'll get you in trouble with your English teachers if you try to write something with a double negative in it. Ume, it's a strong negative, a weak negative, negative with a air subjunctive of batayo, which is a word that means to fall or to stumble, and it is different from scandalizo, the word for stumbling block that you see in different parts of the the New Testament. Because scandalizo emphasizes the object that caused you to stumble. This word encompasses both the stumble and the fall. So it's basically you did it. But if you practice these things, you're not going to stumble. So how important is this target to us? Very. Very. In fact, that might be a nice thing to print out somewhere and put on your refrigerator. Somehow, my refrigerator's full. I'm going to have to do some sorting. Kind of like some of the stuff I found in the cabinet the other day expired in 2013. (laughs) So, 
After keeping an extra 10 years, why, you never know. <laughs> You're going to need it or not. Some of this some of this old stuff, we need to get rid of <laughs> and re- replenish it. Now, the bottom line in this paragraph, that's the whole bottom line in these, these verses, is to be diligent to become firm in our salvation. The assurance of your salvation. Because... Even people that believe that once you believe you're always saved, they kind of waffle from time to time. And he says, you know, there's a, there's a phase two assurance of knowing that you're saved. Of knowing. And how are you going to go about doing that? Because it doesn't take much. I've, I've ran into so many people that were trained right, and then they fall prey to, to Arminianism. Arminianism is all based on works. I was raised in an Arminian church. Okay, if you goof up, you're lost that day. You know, I had a old Baptist friend that was a builder, and he used to hire subcontractors, and he'd ask them, say, are you saved today? <laughs> he just messed with their head, especially if they're Arminian. Are you saved? If you're not saved today, stay away from the job site. I don't want you to mess anything up. And so, assurance of salvation is something that comes with relationship with the Lord, a reverence for Him, a study of His Word. That's what comes. That's from this this assurance. But it gets into our head, and then people say, well, the rest of the gospel. That was a book that came out, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago. And the rest of the gospel was an introduction to lordship salvation. And that means that maybe you're elect, maybe you weren't. I, I cannot imagine some of the leaders of, of um, Lordship Salvation were asked directly, John MacArthur, I'll just call his name out, how sure are you of your election? And he said, oh, about 95%. And I'm thinking, a man that knows that much about the Scripture and has studied the Scripture that much is only 95% sure. What a pity. Because maybe you weren't one of the elect ones in eternity past. Hmm. You know, if you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are it's clear you're one of the elect. Move on from there. Move on from there, no matter how you define the word elect. Now, <clears throat> the reality of the assurance of our salvation in our own life is an issue of faith. So we come to faith, saving faith. We come to the cross, and we accept the work of Christ on the cross in our place. That's salvation, phase one, we call it. But then we have this battle with the power of sin. Okay? This assurance is still a matter of faith. We go from faith to faith. Romans 4, verse 16 and 17. For this reason, reason it is my faith, in order that it be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, descendants of Abraham, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are the faith of Abraham, who is the father of, our, of us all. Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. This is a, a great passage, because some people think you're saved by grace. This is... This is, this is actually taught in a lot of places. You're saved by grace through faith, but you've got to work to keep it. Huh. 
Well, when they tell me that, I just say, would you read Colossians 2, 6 and 7? As it says, therefore, you have received Christ Jesus the Lord as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk in him. How do we receive him? By grace through faith. How do we walk in him? By grace through faith. He says, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established, made firm in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. That's what we should be. It's interesting that anytime you get works into the system, you end up with pride in the system. Because Arminians, if they think they're saved, if they dare even say it, they may not be. They may not be saved because they're prideful. Okay. And then you talk to to Calvin. How do you know you're elect? Well, I'm 95% sure. Well, why do you why why do you believe the 95%? And it's because of my works. What if your works aren't enough? Not the right kind. Not enough. What if they're not the right kind? We have an assurance that passes all understanding. We have an assurance given from God Almighty himself who created the heavens and the earth. That's why we have an assurance of salvation. The issue is made firm by his grace from Hebrews 13 verse 9. We're just tracking the words down here about the bios and the verb form and, and what they say because we just follow this word and the scripture gives us a systematic theology. It says, do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. Now, what do you think the writer Hebrews is talking about? Well, in the context, chapter 10 says there's one sacrifice for sin for all time. No, no other sacrifice is going to bring you into the throne of grace. It's not going to happen. So don't be carried away by varied and strange teachings. For it's good for the heart to be strengthened made firm by grace. When we see that our salvation is only of grace. He says, strengthened by grace, not by foods, because boy, the, the Jews were really into keeping that dietary code. They wanted to keep the dietary code almost to the same point that they wanted to keep the sacrifices. This is the, the believing Jews that came through Pentecost or got converted and now here they are 30, 35 years into the church age in the writing of Hebrews and they're still hanging on to the works of the law thinking they'll save them. And the writer of Hebrews is saying it's not going to happen. Not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. <clears throat> the book came out years ago called The Maker's Diet. And, um, you know, and it was, it was basically a vegetarian diet. If you want to be a vegetarian, that's your business. You can do that. That's fine and dandy. But the maker's diet has got meat in it. Huh? Yeah, Acts chapter 10. The maker's diet has meat in it. I went to Rudy's barbecue one time Said had a sign up said, I didn't rise to the top of the food chain to eat vegetables. <laughs> I could dig it. <clears throat> Should we eat more fruits and vegetables? Obviously. <laughs> no argument there. But should we not eat meat at all? 
I don't think so. This body was geared and designed to do that. The issue is made firm by His grace in believing His unchangeable promises. See, this is all about grace and faith, isn't it? You've received Him, so walk in Him. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 says, In the same way God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of His purpose interposed with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have taken refuge, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope that's set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. That's our word. A hope that is firm. And one that enters within the veil. Now to the Jews who are going the veil, they knew what it was. The Gentiles are going, what's the veil? The Jews knew it was the veil of the tabernacle that only priests could go into. Guess what? We're priests now. Where Jesus has entered is a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus himself confirmed the promises of God. Look, the evidence just keeps piling up. And uh, if, if you pick up that Foundations 2 book back there um, that is that deals with uh, defending the faith, you're going to find a lot bigger uh, explanation of it and a lot more evidence. Because if you, what should we believe? What does the evidence say? And so you have to look at the evidence contained in the Word. And sometimes two things seem to contradict. And you know what? Solomon even told us to do when two things seem to contradict. First chapter of Proverbs. To teach you the sayings of a wise man. How to understand a riddle. When two things are stated by God to be true, they're both true. It's up to us to figure out how. And it's an invitation. I believe. Jesus himself confirmed the promises of God. For I say, this is Paul, Romans 15, that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises made, given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written. The plan was directed toward the Jews, but it never excluded the Gentiles. The Jews seemed to think it did, and in that sense they were racist. Other peoples were racist against the Jews. And, you know, if they just read the book, they'd have gone back to Genesis. They'd got to Genesis 10 eventually, and they would have have uh, with eight, there were only one race. Duh. Why are we arguing about all these skin colors and melatonins and everything else? Huh. We went to different parts of the planet, but we're one race. Came through the flood, brought by Noah and his wife. And that, it, it went from Adam to Noah and his wife. Eight people came through the flood and went to the rest of the world and populated it. So how many races are there? There's one, the human race. Now, the promises of God, Jesus confirmed. This firmness is also an issue of perseverance. From Hebrews 3. Saying, how strong do we want to be? Well, Persevere. Don't decide we're going to take side trips in our life. 
in our Christian life. We get headed in the right path, fixing our eyes on Jesus, and let's just not go outside the camp for a while to see what it's like out there. Keep focused. Hebrews 3, 5. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. We do that, we're a picture of his house. Believers can step outside, believers can, we can color outside the light. But the ones that hang on to who he is and persevere in the midst of persecution, those are the ones that, that show the solidity and the, and the, the beauty of, of Christ. It's an issue of perseverance, and it's also of partaking of Christ himself. From Hebrews 3 again, verse 14 and 15, says, We have become partakers of Christ. We have become partakers of Messiah. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Partakers. Oh, you hit partakers and then you go, what does that mean? And that's all about inheritance. There's an inheritance that is based on works. We are his workmanship created for good works before the foundation of the world that we should walk in them. He laid out opportunities for us as part of his family to do good and to do good works. Works factors into it. Never to get us saved, never to prove we're saved, never to keep us saved, but always to ask thanksgiving for our salvation. That's what we should do. In context, <clears throat> this is done by supplying the qualities listed in verses 5 to 7. In the context, which the Lord has already... I thought I had this all fixed. Okay, I do. The third point, <laughs> which the Lord has already given us, and they're to blossom and grow. See, the, the point two is done by supplying the qualities listed. It says us, we are to add all diligence. Okay, we supply those. Okay, but the Lord's already given them to us. Because he gave us everything we need for life and godliness. When the Holy Spirit moved in at the moment of your salvation, he brought all this stuff with him. So again, the table is set. Are we going to eat from it? Is, is the question. It's a matter of offering back to him what he's given us. For the purpose of being conformed to the image of Christ. Romans 12, 2. Great verses. Present your body a living holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. It's your spiritual service of worship. Not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can determine what the will of God is. The promise is that if we continue to grow in these things, we're not going to stumble and fall. If we continue to grow in these things, we're not going to stumble and fall. Nice to find promises, isn't it? We need to learn what these things are. 
explore them. Read back through your notes over the last few weeks because we explored them in, in detail. And then try to make them a part of your life. I want to have perseverance. I want to have self-control. And if you're having trouble, pray about it. You know, so many times we, we know if we pray in accordance with his will, he hears us and he answers us. And sometimes we say, well, I'm just looking for his will. When his will stated, apply all diligence. Lord, I'm having trouble with that. I'm having trouble with this diligence thing. <clears throat> Show me when I start getting out of line, walking away, whenever I get distracted. Let the Holy Spirit please bring it to mind so it can be corrected. What about faith? If I start wavering in my faith, Lord, I need, I need, that, I, I need to be reminded. You say, Lord, I'm not as smart as, as some people think I am. I'm not as smart as I think I am. So I need your help. And you know, that's the prayer the Lord wants to hear. I need your help. This issue of self-control, Lord, I need help with self-control. How about brotherly love? There is a lot of people that's hard to love right now. You might have some in your family that are hard to love. There's certainly... A lot of people hard to love that are in high positions around this world. Brotherly love, what do we do for them? Do we curse them or pray for them? We need to pray more for them. I think the body of Christ needs to pray more for those who are so messed up. And they look at us and say, you're just arrogant. I don't know if you've ever been told that. You're arrogant to believe that there's only one way to heaven. And I graciously try to tell them, you're foolish to believe that there's, that there's not. Some people say, I don't want religion. That's one of the big movements today, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the times. <clears throat> They're trying to do away with all religion. But you know, that's self-defeating because they're developing their own belief system in the process. Everybody functions with a belief system. You believe there is no God? That is religion. That is your faith. That is what you believe. You say that God doesn't exist? Psalm 14, Psalm 53, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's foolish to do that. Now, <clears throat> this is what we ask for. The promise, if we continue to grow these things, in these things, we won't stumble and fall. See, violation of one part of the Mosaic Law made a person guilty of all of it. For whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. That's why we need to keep walking by grace. We're still going to need it. It is true we all stumble in many ways. In many ways. In James 3, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such... We will incur a stricter judgment for we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. But Peter says while we're practicing these qualities, we won't stumble and fall. The older I get, the more I have to pay attention because things are wobblier than they once were. And we lose our balance a little bit. But don't fall. 
Spiritually, we're talking about the same thing. We may get a little bit wobbly from time to time, but if these things are a part of who we are, then we're not going to fall down all the way as long as we're practicing these qualities. Conversely, if we're not practicing these qualities, we've already stumbled and fallen. That's the other side of the coin. We look at these things and go, those are not for me. You've already stumbled and fallen. That's, that's how simple it is and how purely that this is, this is written. The answer to what think ye of Christ is the basis for the fall and rise of many. So that's where we begin. In Luke 2, 32 to 35, he says, A light of revelation to the Gentiles. This is speaking to Mary. It's about Messiah. And the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things that were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them. And Mary his mother. Behold, the child is, appoint, child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul. To the end, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. This is a prophecy given to Mary, and she's going to see a spear stuck inside of her son on a cross. And it happened. If we fail to see these qualities as valuable, we've actually built a foundation upon sand and not on the rock. Matthew 7:24. We uh, we used to sing songs about that and. Sunday school. Wise man built his house upon the rock. Foolish man built his house upon the sand. Yeah, we know what happens. The one without the firm foundation is the one that falls. But what is Peter doing? He is called part of the foundation of the church by Paul in Ephesians 2.20. So here is Peter, part of the foundation of the church, and he's saying, you know, build on the rock. The real foundation is Christ. He has put us in there as stones on top of that initial foundation. But that's where the stability is. It's interesting. I've been looking at grave markers uh, over the last week. And when you start thinking about putting up a grave marker, a lot of dynamics to consider on that. I know a lot of you have been through that. And a lot of you have done that. And one of the things you have to consider is... What is it sitting on? What is this marker sitting on? Because if it's just sitting on the ground, it's going to fall over. It's going to get blown over. Something, no matter, because that, that, that uh, granite that it's made out of, it's heavier than the Dickens. But it's not impervious to damage that is there. When my uh, uh, dad passed away, I went out to look at the grave marker... Uh, out there and the the foundation stone was broken in half underneath the marker and so I started looking how do we replace that and what had happened is they hadn't laid the foundation properly to set that stone on and somewhere along the line it broke in half and it cost a lot of money to replace that stone but now it's on a firm foundation stone that that marker is set. you got to have the foundation right. 
I know if my dad was alive, it really irked him. He was a bricklayer. <laughs> and they started on good foundations. <laughs> that's, what, that's where they started from and went up with, with the bricks. And for that to break on his, his grave, that was, uh, that was not good. So I'm, I'm glad it happened after uh, uh, the last time he saw that, that marker because they'd had it set earlier. Jesus can keep us from falling. And he wants to help. He can keep us from falling. He wants to help. Jude, verse 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Messiah our Lord before all ages and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, your love, and your mercy. Thank you for the blessings, and thank you for the test. Thank you for the word that you have inspired, that you had written, that you have preserved to bring it through the ages for us to look into. Because in it, we find comfort. In it, we find assurance that when you say something, that's the way it's going to be. So, Father, I pray that you would strengthen our faith. I pray that we would walk in those qualities that are so beautifully described by your Apostle Peter. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.